0: This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. Obama had just been elected. Um, Social media was the buzzword on everybody's lips and all the clients were coming in and saying, hey, we want that thing. We want that thing that got Obama elected. What is that thing?
1: Social media. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars, this is Karen and welcome to today's episode. You know, influencer marketing is as common a part of our lives these days as drinking water. But believe it or not, not too long ago, corporations were very new to the scene and using influencers to really boost their brands and their bottom line. Our guest today is one of the early trailblazers who helped corporations integrate influencer marketing into their larger marketing strategies. Danica Comble is the former founder of the Everywhere Agency which was an influencer marketing and digital media agency. Danica had a successful exit when she sold her agency to a larger firm and is now a partner consultant with the Chameleon Collective. And the Chameleon Collective is an organization that matches senior marketing leaders with businesses looking to scale. She's going to share with us her journey from a career in media to founding her own influencer marketing agency And she's going to share the leadership lessons that she learned along the way. Now be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen and welcome to today's episode. I am over the moon thrilled to have our guest on today's show. She is not only a superstar businesswoman, but she's also a very dear friend. On today's show, we have Miss Danica Comble, <laughs> who actually is was is the founder of a digital marketing agency and a social influencer agency called Everywhere. And she, I'm going to let her tell about the Everywhere agency. But she's uh, has a long history in. And social influencer marketing. Uh, she is now, she has sold that business and she's gonna tell that story, but then she is now a consultant with a company called Chameleon Collective. And I'm gonna let her explain that as well. But welcome to the show, Danica. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Always inspiring to be around you, Karen. Oh, it's more inspiring to be around you, my dear. <laughs> Well, uh, before we dive deep into your professional background, why don't you tell us just a little bit about kind of where you grew up on your, your personal life and journey this far?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I am the child of entrepreneurs. So after dinner every night, my mom would get out the big, you know, it was a punch calculator and she'd be punching numbers and, you know, some nights would be good and some nights wouldn't be good and just kind of stay away from the kitchen. But, I think if you are the child of entrepreneurs, you either leave that home with a good sense of risk tolerance or you decide, no, I need to know my paycheck's coming every other week. And so when I did start my own business, I did have that memory of what it was like. You know, both my parents were in business together and sometimes it was scrappy and sometimes it was good and just kind of seeing that journey and seeing their joy when things worked out well. And how my family benefited when they worked out well. So I kind of feel like I've got entrepreneurism in my, lo- in my blood. So, but I did plenty of corporate jobs too. You know, I started out working in television. My earliest job was working on Sesame Street. And then I went on to work at SNL, sorry, at Live. I worked in comedy. And when my husband and I moved here to Atlanta, because he got a job at CNN, the television world really wasn't that robust then. And I was kind of like, what do I do next? And that's when
1: I jumped into marketing. So amazing, amazing. And I know you've told me this story before, but I'd love for you to share with your listeners how you um, really got curious about influencer marketing and digital marketing. And how did you like plant your flag, your professional flag in that industry? Yeah, (laughs) so
0: true story is probably not as glamorous as one hopes. I would like to say I had the vision, but the truth is, I think, and this will resonate with uh, many of your listeners, sometimes necessity is the motherhood of invention, right? So I was working with one of the largest PR firms in the world, 2008, financial crisis. I was a relatively new hire. I was pretty aged and I was like, okay, going to get my pink slip pretty soon. Anyway, but I was there at that time, Obama had just been elected Social media was the buzzword on everybody's lips. And all the clients were coming in and saying, hey, we want that thing. We want that thing that got Obama elected. What is that thing? Social media. And I looked around, second largest PR firm in the world. They had two people on staff that did social media. Because remember, public relations media, they were used to an old school. And social media was kind of like, well, what's Twitter going to do for us? You know. And so when I got laid off, I thought, I'm going to do that social media thing. So first I had to learn it. <laughs> and then I had to find the clients. But the truth is, it was 2009. And I wasn't going to get a job at that point, you know.
1: And how did you go about learning it? Because back then, it wasn't as, you know, in our lives, as integral in our lives as it is now. How'd you learn it? Did you have a mentor or did you... Erica,
0: no, Eric Hartfield, my first employee, she was two years out of Georgia Tech. And I started my business in the basement. And I remember just sitting with her, she's like, okay, this is how you do it. So, which is why I always say to leaders, when you're seeking mentorship, it doesn't always come from above. It can also come from below as well.
1: Yeah. And so tell us about um, how you kind of grew your business and how you established the business and what it was like to be a leader and founder in a very new, relatively new at the time, industry?
0: Well, so uh, I probably skipped a couple of steps. So my field was really influencer marketing, which was working with social influencers. So for me, it was really in terms of building the business. Obviously, leaders have to understand business doesn't come to you. You have to go out and get it. And I am by nature a worker bee. Give me a project. Okay, here's my checklist, right? Love me a checklist, right? But business doesn't come for you to you. And business development isn't necessarily a checklist type thing. Business development is out there integrating in the community. It's selling yourself. I will definitely say I wasn't that comfortable with selling myself at first and I had to learn how to overcome it. But it was an exciting time in the industry. Again, the big agencies weren't doing it. I was really, I guess you could say I was at the forefront of it. I saw the potential for brands because for me, influencer marketing was just an extension of what we used to call word of mouth marketing. So to me, the best influencer marketing is hearing somebody talk naturally a brand or product that they love. That's what it was 10 years ago. It's since kind of morphed into something I probably don't admire as much, but at the beginning, it was pretty exciting. So I'm a person who's hungry for knowledge. It was really exciting to learn. I learned about influencer marketing from the influencers themselves. I had to listen very closely to my clients to see how influencers could fit their need. But then I had to introduce an entirely new marketing product that they'd never used before. So there was a lot of skepticism So part of being an entrepreneur is not just having a good idea. It's being able to sell that idea. Right. Right.
1: And I know you had a very interesting, but dynamic team uh, that helped drive the business. Uh, What did, what did you learn from them? Okay. So first off I was a
0: woman owned business and not intentionally, but most of my best hires were women. So I had primarily a women team, women team. And also the, Talent that was best for me in terms of hiring was technically a relatively junior talent, particularly in the early, in the early days of my business, because they were using social, they were heavy social media users. They understood the power of influence. They had the energy and enthusiasm about social media. They understood the immediacy of it. So my best hires were what you would consider relatively young, maybe not as seasoned and What I realized was that my management style did not jive with what they needed to be well managed. Um, Well, first off, I was trained in a management style, a completely different management style, one that didn't really resonate. Like old school corporate? Old school corporate, you know, my way or the highway, follow my regulations. I don't think I was my way or the highway, but we were kind of like, Give your mandates, get it done. That style didn't work. So I really feel like I learned from them how to better manage them. And I also sought outside kind of support and training from folks like you, um, in terms of really kind of understanding the demographic, but I had to transition my leadership style. Now, mind you, my staff were primarily millennial and Gen Z. My kids were also millennial and Gen Z. So I was getting a lot of this from them. And when I got this from them, I was like, well, let me tell you about something I did the other day at the office. And they go, mom. <laughs> so I used both my kids, my staff to kind of help me have a more collaborative style of leadership. One of the complaints that people often say about millennial and Gen Z is they come in and they think they can be boss. And I thought, okay, let me just think about that. I have employees that care so much about their line of work that they want to own it and they want to be boss. That's not a bad thing, is it? Not at all. Talk about employee motivation. Yeah. And also like, okay, so how do I get out of their way so that they can have the ownership of this? And it really just flipped everything on the end. So we began focusing more on processes and systems rather than kind of top down management values, that kind of thing.
1: And you know, those of us who are um, own our own businesses or founders of our own business, you know, it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, obviously, but, you know, what advice do you have to others that are considering, you know, hanging out their shingle in the sense of what kind of mindset should you have to get ready to lead a business when you're creating it yourself?
0: So I personally think, The most important thing to dig deep on is your risk tolerance. Okay. Because as an entrepreneur, you have to have a certain level of risk. And a lot of that risk has to come, comes with the almighty paycheck. So if you've been in the corporate world for a long time, you're used to some pretty regular things, regular paycheck, used to IT, hopefully taking care of your stuff, and you're used to health insurance. Now, suddenly, when you are an entrepreneur, You don't have anybody taking care of IT for you. You have anybody taking care of your health insurance and you aren't getting a steady paycheck. And there are very, very few businesses that start with an immediate paycheck coming in. So your risk tolerance really has to be around it's both a logical thing. How long can I go without receiving a paycheck? That's just a flat out fact. And then what will be, what will I feel like at night? I've billed my client and they lost the invoice. And then they say, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll get to that. But it's going to be another six weeks before you're paid. How's it going to make you feel? Are you going to be up all night? Are you going to be sweating it? Because if so, it might not be the business for you.
1: That is true because that's a, a very normal type of situation that founders face because clients pay at different rates. Some pay right on time. A couple pay early, but most kind of play with that window, right? And The bigger the client,
0: the longer the payment schedule. Those Fortune 500 clients have negotiated into the statement of work with you or your master service agreement that it might be a six weeks or a two month period before they pay you. So you did the work, you completed the work and you're waiting for two months. Do you have the capital to float it? So all of those things, capital to float, risk tolerance, what do you do if a client walks out the door, a main client walks out the door?
1: And how do you cover it? And it's one thing when it's just you, right? But when you have staff working for you, and they needed to, you know, pay their bills, too, you can't ask them to wait two months, you know, get paid, right? Ask them to wait, but I'll be honest with you, that
0: inspired me empowered me because I knew I had people who were dependent upon me, not just for their livelihood, but it was a stepping stone in their career. So With the young talent I had, many of them would be with me two to three years and go. Totally understandable. I was a small agency. Their growth potential with me, given their smarts, outweighed it. So I really had a policy with my team. I said, you might grow out of this job and I don't want you to feel bad about it. But when that happens, let's work together to get you your next position. You don't need to scurry out the door. A, that provided me an opportunity to like, get prepared because Julie over there might be just kind of thinking about anything else. And then secondly, I felt real pride in seeing the young women that I work for go on to Delta, Home Depot, a lot of big agencies and just thrive, you know,
1: That's what I love. I love when I'm, you know, coaching or mentoring someone and seeing them go to their next level of success. I mean, I know I'm in the background, but in some way I'm celebrating with them, like toasting them with them, Virtual glasses, Chardonnay. I mean, it'd be different if my agency was a large corporation, because if
0: you're mentoring somebody with a large corporation, you can always kind of help them. You could see the stepping stones. But again, I was still what is considered a boutique agency. So I had roughly, you know, three to four tiers of leadership. So you get to one or two and three to
1: four were already taken. Where do you go? Where do you go from there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, because I have the luxury of uh, knowing you fairly well, um, and one of the things I always ask on the podcast is like, which of the tactics, leadership tactics that I write about in my book really, really resonated with you? But I wanted to highlight one in particular because I think you're excellent at it. And that is leading with stakeholder savvy. You are excellent about meeting individuals, really understanding their perspectives, making a connection and making a friend for life out of a stranger. And it's not always easy for people to do that, but you have such a unique knack in doing that. I wanted to highlight that and I wanted you to share, how how do you think about approaching people when you, you know, you spoke at numerous conferences, including South by Southwest, which is coveted, but- how do you think about it as it relates to people and building your network? Because you have a huge network. Well,
0: maybe we could talk about stakeholder and client, but also stakeholder and colleague. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Because both are really, really important to me. And I think a lot of it has to do with we spend how many hours a day in work, right? A lot. It's We spend many, many of our day at work. So to me, why not? Enjoy your colleagues. Why not enjoy the people you work with? My clients really entrusted me with solving problems. And so I viewed that as we're partners in success. And it's hard to be a partner with somebody without developing some kind of rapport. So it's funny, I'm now a member of Chameleon Collective, which is this wonderful collective consortium. And the person who recommended it to me was my old client from Macy's, Holly Thomas. Who I worked with for 10 years. And, you know, over 10 years, I mean, she had her requests of me, her demands of me. I worked for her, but we also were partners in success. So those relationships live on. Your coworkers, too, you know, um, you don't always love your coworkers, but you're going to have to partner with them. So for me, always finding some common ground so that the dialogue was always open. And then with Finding common ground is an, an is a personal investment. It definitely is. You're
1: absolutely right. You're absolutely right.
0: And every single person on a team, whether they're a strong player or a weak player, you have something to learn from them.
1: Oh, always. You can always learn a nugget or two from, from other people. I still do to this day. I think that's one reason I love being a podcast host is because I learned so much from our guests. It's amazing what nuggets you can get in less than 30 minutes, right? <laughs> Well, I've learned a lot from you, so. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. <laughs> Your voice is in my head. <laughs> um. So Danica, share what you're doing at Chameleon Collective. What is that all about? Oh, yeah, it's kind of, it's actually kind of the perfect
0: next step for me because I really wanted to consult, but I don't love working in a vacuum. I'm not a good solo player. I really bounce off other people. So Chameleon Collective is, a collective of about a 100 plus really, excuse my French, badass marketing folks all across the marketing spectrum, SEO, web, digital, blah, blah, blah. And we all kind of bring our projects into the collective. We either work together on some of them, we work solo on them, but it's kind of like an opportunity to have partners in your consulting work. So, so much of what I do in marketing is never just one area. So, say a client comes to me and says, I'd need help with this aspect of marketing. Okay. That piece I know about. But then they say, I need help with SEO. Oh, I can't help with that, but I've got a partner in the collective I can bring in. So it's kind of a group setting for consulting that really works well for me. And they've got all the infrastructure and the back end. And that's
1: worth his weight goal right there. Just having that. <laughs>
0: I know, I know all the invoicing taken care of, but really just because marketing today is so unbelievably complex, having experts in 10 different fields, or let's say I'm writing something and I need a copywriter. There's the copywriter.
1: Yeah. What's some of the hot trends in marketing right now? Gosh. Well,
0: <laughs> are we going to talk of, maybe we shouldn't say hot trends, but hot bed trends is obviously TikTok has been a lot in the news. Oh
1: yeah, this has been a lot in the news. Yeah.
0: You know, what's going to happen with TikTok? I think the trend we're really seeing in marketing more and more is just much more of a 360 marketing approach and integrated marketing approach you know, marketing used, everybody used to have their own little fiefdom. So PR was here and marketing was here and digital was over here. And now they're all working together in a concerted effort towards campaigns. And it's those 360 campaigns that I thrive on
1: that I find most inspiring. And tell the audience members, what is a 360 campaign? I know, but I want you to share.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Okay. So a 360 marketing campaign really means I'm going to look what the left hand is doing and the right hand is doing, even though we might be playing on different mediums. So think about all the different ways we get information today. TV, podcasts, you know, billboard, all over the place, right? And so a lot of times different, the TV people might be doing this and the other people might be doing that. But now you're bringing all of those folks together so that we're kind of integrating what we're doing in marketing and having a much more holistic approach.
1: That's interesting. And so do you focus on helping companies with their 360 marketing strategy or do you get in, roll your sleeves up and actually do it with them or both?
0: Yeah. I'm, you know, me, I'm a worker bee. So I like to roll up my sleeves and get in there and, you know, I can write a strategy but once the strategy is written, I want to get in and get it
1: <laughs> You are. You are the Energizer, Benny. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> you know, honestly, part of my reason for that is when you're running an agency, it's going to sound weird. You're running an agency. You run the agency. You don't actually do the agency work. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. You're in charge of the infrastructure of the agency. You're in charge of biz dev. You're in charge of leadership. You're in charge of making sure everybody gets paid. You're in charge of all of the big picture things. So if you're actually doing client campaigns, you're not running the agency. So one thing I knew I missed when I was running an agency is like, I want to kind of, you know, get my hands dirty. I want to get in the dirt. I want to dig around. So it's fun as a consultant to kind of get my hands dirty again.
1: That is awesome. And because I admired it so, it sounds simple, but you'd be surprised how much of an effective activity it was. So tell me again about those or explain to the audience about those Monday morning meetings that were got to be so famous with your staff. I just thought they were so effective.
0: Well, you know, Monday morning is a dangerous time because we don't always come in on Monday ready to charge into work. So coffee and food were critically important. Um, But we also tried to make our Monday morning meetings really upbeat, um, fast. And we just kind of did a quick... Of course, with everybody kind of sharing what they had going on, what are their challenges? Raise your hand if you need help or raise your hand if you have an idea. So that kind of rapid fire approach of everybody kind of sharing what was on the docket, um, that we, uh, one of our core values was called it's handled like Olivia Pope. So in other words, if you've got a project on your plate, you got it, but it's up to you to say, I might need support here. So it really did create a sense of teamwork. If somebody said, I need a little bit of help with that, hey, I'm going to have spare time Tuesday afternoon, I can help you. So a lot of collaboration, a lot of creative brainstorming, but also Monday morning meetings were also agenda-driven so that it wasn't just kind of like, what are we talking about today? You know, bang, 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 out, go do it.
1: And I absolutely love that. And I always use it as a best practice. Um, even when I do my speaking engagements, because it had a, I mean, it wasn't kind of brain surgery type of things, but it, the way you all implemented it really helped to decrease silos. Um, cause people weren't wondering, you know, what Sally over here was doing or Jane over there was doing. They had like a quick 30 second high level, you know, overview. And people got grounded. And to your point, folks threw out great ideas or people they should follow up with or, or what have you. But it had a nice mix of the agenda, creativity and spontaneity all at once. And so that's what I really enjoyed as uh you know, an HR professional from outside looking in, you know, seeing how effective those were. And I definitely wanted to give you kudos for that. Oh,
0: uh, well, we loved having you when you came and visited. So <laughs> thank you so much.
1: All right. Well, we're almost at time, Ms. Santa comes, but I'd love for you to, before you get out of here, share a little bit about what you did in between selling your business and starting up at the Chameleon Collective. The true story. Do you want me to tell the true story? Whatever you feel more comfortable with. I was thinking about one thing because I checked in with you every now and then, but whatever you like to share. <laughs> I gave myself time. That's the true story. The true story is what now?
0: The true story is I gave myself time.
1: Yes. That's what I wanted you to share.
0: Yes. I gave myself. Time. I had been on a whirlwind, you know, for over 10 years, running a business, growing a business. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're kind of always in a slight state of worry and you always have too much on your plate. I just don't know that there's any way around it. If there was, I missed the boat. I missed the memo. If somebody's figured it out. Let me know. Maybe I'll consider being an entrepreneur again. But um I knew that I had to give myself time to settle my brain, to think. I did a lot of meditating. I did a lot of yoga. I did a lot of kind of like reading a book and saying, oh, you can read three pages at a time and not have to send an email. Oh, now you can read five pages at a time. I also, this was actually pre-pandemic that I bought it, but it came in really, really handy is I had a midlife crisis and I bought a little vintage red camper. And I looked at my husband one day and I said, the pandemic's still going on, but I think it's safe enough to travel. And we drove across the country with a camper and we drove back. And, you know, this was a time, so much discord in America, too, that it allowed me to kind of see America in a new light and realize it is a beautiful country. We have a lot of flaws, but there was real joy in seeing the beauty across the
1: country via our camper. Staying at campsites and it was just amazing to watch. So, so listen, so I would track Danica every now and then. I'm, I'm I will say I'm not always on Facebook all the time, and, um, but I would check in every now and then just to see where she was at because she would post great pictures and uh, places she was eating or people she had met or the beautiful countryside. And I thought it was important for you to share because leaders of all types sometimes forget there are times you might need to take that time and give yourself grace. To decompress, uh, rejuvenate, uh, yourself, shift your mindset and prep for your next great chapter in life. And I don't think we talk about that enough. We're sometimes we talk about mindfulness, but I mean, people are like, okay, what does that mean? And how do we really make it happen? And I thought it was great for you to share that example because when you did have time and space to do that, you had the courage to just take the bull by the horns and do it. And I really admire that.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, if you think about it, if you think about a brain, like a muscle and think about how you're using your brain during the course of the week, and if it's busy, 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 too many things on my plate, your brain gets adapted to responding to that. And what I found was my ability to do kind of the deeper thinking that I needed for my strategy work was so hard to get into it. You know, I'd have Got to write a strategy, and it'd be on my plate, and I couldn't get to it. And maybe at ten thirty at night, I could finally get to it. Then I'd be tired. Now, the time I took, I sit down on my computer. It's like, oh, you've got some strategy, and within minutes, I'm in it. But I had to calm that brain down.
1: And look at you now, just thriving and just doing it. And I am so happy for you, and I'm just happy to be part of your network as well.
0: <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be part. Uh, The Shockingly Different Network, because I think I'm sometimes shockingly different and I love the way you are shockingly different. And yet we play very well with outsiders and we play well within a corporate structure, but we're still who we are. We're still
1: who we are. We're still two peas in a pod. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Danica, for sharing your story with our uh, listeners. I'm sure there's some great nuggets that um, they have taken away, uh, at the very least, to have the courage to you know, stick through the good times and sometimes the bumps in the road. But you are a fantastic role model. And thank you for leading at the top of your game. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Great. Thanks again. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Danica Comble, Partner Consultant with the Chameleon Collective. Links to her bio, her entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of influencer marketing. Well, believe it or not, every successful leader must possess sharp influencer marketing skills. It's simplest. An influencer is someone who can influence others to take a course of action. And if you're employed in the workplace, you're going to need influencing marketing skills to influence others to support you and your ideas. And if you're a business owner, you're going to need influencer marketing skills to influence customers to buy from you. I wanted to take a minute to share three tactics you can use to help build a strategy that will influence others. The first tactic is to appeal to the head. Logical appeals tap into people's rational and intellectual perspectives. You present an argument for the best choice of action to them based on organizational benefits or the personal benefits or both, all appealing to people's minds. The second tactic involves appealing to the heart. Emotional appeals connect your message, goal, or project to individual goals and values. An idea that promotes a person's feelings of well-being, service, or sense of belonging really tugs at the heartstrings and has a really good chance of gaining support. And my third tip is to appeal to the hands. Cooperative appeals involve collaboration, consultation, and alliances in order to accomplish mutually important goals. This method extends a hand or an olive branch to others, those that you're trying to influence, which is an extremely effective way of influencing others. Now, if you need additional guidance on how to plan such a strategy, feel free to reach out to me here at Shockingly Different Leadership or ping me on LinkedIn and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Also, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with at least one friend. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at LeadYourGamePodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.